Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned punter Derek Dyson. Well with the Olympic campaigns over for both the Matildas and the Ollie Roos, despite some promising signs, both will return home without the cherished medal around their neck. We looked at the demise of the Ollie Roos last week so this week we shift our focus to the Matildas who finished in the most painful of Olympic positions in fourth. We'll begin the post-mortem with one of our most decorated Matildas, Melissa Barbieri, to look at the campaign itself and ahead to what we can expect from here as attention turns to the World Cup less than two years away. Speaking of looking ahead, we're a month out from the start of the Asian Football Confederation's third round of World Cup qualifiers and there are continued doubts about the current schedule. News Limited Football Journal Marco Monverde will join us to discuss the latest on this front to wrap up the hour in the second hour. Willem will kick off with second edition news and more on the Matildas and Olyroos Olympics campaigns. Then we'll chat with one of Australia's foot, Australian football's favourite sons, John Aloisi, who's been appointed A-League head coach of Western United for the next two seasons, beginning with the 2021-22 campaign in what will be a new chapter for the club as it looks to return to the success achieved in its inaugural season in the A-League. More on the latest transfer news and signings with Dino and Dell. The Championship starts this weekend and we'll wrap it up with a special yarn in stoppage time, but you'll have to wait till then to hear what all that is about. Michael, um, good to have you on the show and um, a very good, good to see you again, Rob. Yeah, good to see you again, Rob. And um, oh, wasn't the Matildas a campaign, a traditional Matildas? It was full of frills and spills. And, and uh, let's welcome Melissa Barbieri to the program for the first time since she was with me in Montpellier in France after we beat Brazil. That was pretty good, Bubs, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a good time. I, I wish I could go back. Yeah, honestly. me too. <laughs> me too. But uh, welcome to the show. Uh, before we sort of have a chat to you, uh, obviously we're going to go into great detail about the Matildas in segment two and three, but let's welcome Willem van Dunen, who has all the news. Hello, everyone. I'm Melissa. Great to have you here. The Matildas will unfortunately leave Tokyo empty-handed after falling short against Sweden and the USA in the semi-finals and bronze medal matches of the Olympics. Sweden scored the only goal of the semi-final early in the second half before the Matildas were on the wrong side before three results in the third place playoffs. Given uh, expectations pre-tournament, guys, I think we probably would have been pretty happy. We had Daniel Garb and Joey Lynch on in the weeks preceding the Olympics and it was all a little bit doom and gloom. But given the efforts during the tournament and having watched it all play out, I think we all leave just a little bit disappointed. Melissa, looking forward to getting your thoughts on the Matildas in the next couple of segments. But for now... Uh, the big international news, I guess you can take out of the end of this tournament, is that the US have not made the final and they've also lost to Canada for the first time in 20 years. What do you make of those results? Well, I'd like to say that it was a huge surprise, but for me, um, the way the Americans were torn, uh, turning up in the tournament, I honestly thought that Canada were in with a shot. I mean, they did come down to only uh, winning by the whisker of a penalty, um, but... As I say, um, you know, all things happen for a reason and uh, certainly Alyssa Nea coming off with a knee injury 30 minutes into the game certainly played into the hands of the Canadians uh, and we, we can only say that the rest was up to Canada in order to secure that 1-0 win. But in terms of USA and the way that they were playing, honestly, from the first match against Sweden, I wasn't hugely confident in them. Um, 
I, it was a shame that the game against us in the group stages didn't really mean anything. So they weren't showing their cards all that much. But certainly when I when I watched them against Brazil, um, uh, sorry, when I watched them against us, it was it was one of those times where you kind of think, wow, um, who is this team and what's he done with the real USA team? On to the men's tournament. Brazil will be looking to win Olympic gold for the second consecutive games when they face Spain in the final on Saturday night our time. Both semi-finals were close sport affairs with Brazil needing penalties to pass Mexico, while Marco Asensio's goal saw Spain defeat Japan in extra time. Both of these nations have won Olympic gold once, both times on their respective home soil, with Brazil winning in Rio five years ago and Spain at Barca 92. I'll go around the table quickly there, guys, and we'll start with you, Rob, with your predictions uh, for this match. Brazil, they, of course, lost the men's senior copper final uh, less than a month ago, so this would be a huge blow to drop a second uh, title here. And Spain, they've really built into the tournament. They've scored eight goals in the five games, but five of those have come in uh, one match. So like their senior side, after a slow start of the Euros, they're uh, coming to the boil at the right time. Oh, look, I'll keep it brief. I think Spain will win this one. Uh, I think they uh, they were on uh, a track to the Olympics all the way through the Euros, and it seems to have come to a natural ending. Uh, a lot of us wanted to see the fairy tale story of Japan making the gold medal final. They couldn't get it done uh, when uh, Spain scored that, that goal five minutes uh, to go in, in extra time. I, I just felt that there was a destiny about them, so Spain from the edge. Oh, look, you know, everyone's been uh, disrupted with COVID, but... N- no federation more so than the Brazilian federation. They have been in complete hibernation. So for Brazil to get off the canvas and make the final is fantastic. And it's the traditional superpowers, Willem, isn't it? It's going to be Europe and South America, Brazil and Spain. Um, yeah, look, it's a toss of the coin for me, but I sort of hope Brazil get over the top because Spain have, have you know, as you said, five goals in one game. Other than that, they've been pretty dour in their, in their entire tournament. They've been playing safe. Um, we'll see what happens. And they have relied pretty heavily on uh, Marco Asensio as the senior man there, a seasoned La Liga player. Melissa, did you have a quick prediction? Um, yeah, Spain for me. Great minds, <laughs> Melissa. I'll head over to Spain now. This is undoubtedly uh, the story of possibly the football year. Lionel Messi will reportedly be leaving Barcelona despite the two parties agreeing to reach an agreement on a new deal. They've agreed to agree. Barca have declared the league's salary cap has been an obstacle in proceedings. La Liga as a whole this week received 4.32 billion US dollars from private equity firm CVC, but Barca's fire sale hasn't been enough to write their own financial plight and keep Lionel. They've stated both parties, are de- uh, they deeply regret their wishes will not be fulfilled and thank Messi for his contribution to the aggrandizement of the club. Rob, reading around this story uh, since it broke on Friday morning Australian time, it's all a little bit murky. I think there's still plenty more to come, but I did think of you, Rob. You've uh, been pretty strident in your opinion that Lionel should leave and to twin a couple of your favourite segments, I thought you would have been sitting there smiling like a split watermelon and the cat that got the cream as well. Hey, he's giving me a double banger um, uh, there. Now, look, Willem, I, I just am a little bit cynical about all of the announcements that, uh, that come out of that club around Lionel Messi. It's, it's a bit like uh, the, the mega club sending their teams to Australia for friendlies, telling us they're going to sell in the full strength squad and then we, we get the reserves. I've used the term boy who cried wolf and uh, and I know uh, in this instance uh, the, the term club that cried wolf immediately comes to mind. I know we're going to break this down a little bit more and Edge and, and uh, Derek will have some thoughts on this matter. But uh, yeah, look, it's no surprise to me and all is never what it seems when it comes to Barcelona. UK police have arrested 11 people after investigating racist messages sent to England players after the Euro final loss. 
The hate crime investigation judged 207 of over 600 reported messages to be of a criminal nature, with 34 from within the UK. The bulk of the arrests fall under suspicion of malicious communications, which carries a maximum of two years in prison, while in the most extreme circumstances, three have been arrested on suspicion of citing racial hatred. Chief Constable Mark Roberts, and this is significant, has thanked Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for responding quickly to police inquiries. And Michael, that's a step that uh, we've been waiting for big tech to take for quite some time, for a long time. They've said it's too hard and that it's not within their jurisdiction uh, to be able to help on these issues. Hopefully, the precedent's been set now. Let's hope so. You said 11 arrests. There's only about 3,000 to go. So, um, yeah, look, um, from my perspective, it's a step in the right direction and um, uh, that's really encouraging news. And hopefully um, it'll make uh, idiots think twice before they say stupid things on social media. And and back home now uh, for a final story from me. It's been 653 days since Adelaide United lifted the 2019 FFA Cup. The competition set for a tentative return next Wednesday, lockdown submitting with Hume City to host Port Melbourne. The match will be broadcast live and free on 10 play, marking the beginning of the Paramount Plus Channel 10 era. The other two matches scheduled for the date, Joondalup against Adelaide Olympic and Lions FC against Casarina will be rescheduled. Rob Wednesday is also going to see Paramount Plus officially launch in Australia, but we're still in the dark over talent. We don't know who's going to be fronting it, who's going to be calling it. Uh, you'd assume they're going to hope to crash through in only a couple of days post the Olympics. Exactly, and that's why we're going. Well, I'll reveal it. I said you'll have to wait till the end of the show to find out, but I'll let our listeners know now that that's actually what we're going to prognosticate on in stoppage time, uh, what we think is the dream team of, of commentators for, for 10 Paramount. And right. Melissa Barbieri's on that list, just uh, quietly. Well, is she? Well, we haven't got yeah. to that part of the show yet. You've just added to the list. Yeah, I just let her know that it. off the bat. Well done. Melissa, um, uh, we'll stick around. She's going to stick with us for the next half hour of the show. We're going to reflect on the Olympics and talk about the uh, the world ahead for the Matildas uh, as we uh, traverse the two years leading up to the World Cup. Stick around. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. And there's a little bit of a sad pall over the show this week. We had so much expectation after the, the group stages that uh, our Matildas might actually finally get to stand on the podium. And, uh, yeah, there's no more painful spot to finish in the Olympics than fourth because uh, you might get a certificate to hang on the wall, but you don't get a medal. And uh, uh, someone who has had so much experience, 86 games with the Matildas, uh, one of our favourite uh, Matildas of all time, to reflect on the tournament itself. A look ahead is Melissa Barbieri, and we welcome her to the show. How are you, Melissa? Yeah, a bit, um, you know, downhearted as you as you stated. It's um, it's a tough position to be in a fourth, um, but still very proud of the girls and um, you know feeling feeling somewhat buoyed by for the future. Yeah, and and look, we uh, we had so much expectation when Tony Gustafsson took over. We know his pedigree, assistant to Jill Ellis World Cups, Olympic Games in the past, and uh, he immediately seemed to to, to grasp the level of uh, of uh, importance that the Matildas have for Australian sport, and uh, and and those early qualif- those early friendlies that we saw, you know, we were all a bit shocked to see 
we just didn't look competitive for, for a lot of those games and we thought how is he possibly going to get this sorted in time for the Olympics we, we could be embarrassed here but not only were we not embarrassed but as we said we, the, the, the girls really got stuck into it he had the systems right he had um, his, his replacements right and uh, and you know the the I guess that that moment where where Sam had that opportunity to, to score the hat trick that's probably the defining moment of the whole tournament for us isn't it the difference between winning a medal and not yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to say that it would have been on to that moment, but certainly it wouldn't have gone astray <laughs> to getting us to a medal. And and somewhat that open goal last night might have been four four. Um, so it, it's it's all those sorts of things that come to my mind when when you talk about where we're finished. Bubs, um, I've got to ask the question about. Um, the environment uh, when you're at Olympic Games, um, you've only been to four of them, so it's not as if you don't know. Um, the Games come so fast. Um, what is the impact on preparation, fatigue? Um, a lot of our key players played huge minutes. Um, what can you tell our listeners about just how tough it is to back up with those two- and three-day breaks? Um, the thing is, the preparation for tournaments, so I've been to four World Cups, one Olympics. So if you go into tournament mode, you're, you've done your preparation up until the point. When you when you train for these major, major tournaments, in the lead-up is where you do all the running and all the prep and all the fitness. And then when you get into the tournament mode, it's really, you know, you train to work on things, but you're really not excelling and doing anything um, of any physical nature where it would uh, harm or reduce someone's capacity to back it up. So we've had Olympic qualifying tournaments in the past where we had to play uh, every second day. And that was the most grueling thing we'd have to um, go through. And we did utilize every single player. I mean, one of our girls got a corky and couldn't play the whole tournament. It was, it's that sort of rigorous and the demands on the body is that, sort of huge. Um, unfortunately for Gustafsson, he did have to use a majority of his 11 uh, over and over again, which I don't exactly agree with, but um, I don't think he could have gotten away with it um, any other way. He certainly wouldn't have got the results that he did had he not played um, the players that he did. And and when you walk into the village, there, this, this Olympics would have been actually worse for the girls because... There is no downtime. There is no where to go. It's literally you're at the training pitch, uh, you're at the dining hall or wherever you're eating, and then you're back in your room. And it was um, pretty much quarantine and isolation in between everything because you don't want to risk going out into the public and and catching COVID and then have it all just fall apart for no reason, um, for a reason outside of football. Um, So... For, for the girls, it was mentally challenging as as well as physically challenging because of the heat and um, the humidity is um, is is just something else over there when it's when it's hot and um, you can tell by the protests of, of many people saying that it was too hot this time. Not even COVID was the reason for some of their protests. So uh, yeah, just it's alarming. But I think the girls took it in their stride and. And I think this whole support team, that's why they had so many support staff over there to help um, get the girls back back on board every every game. I mean, they had 
I think two or three physios plus massage. Um, they even take a chef with them sometimes, but they didn't have to because they're in the village. Uh, yeah, so lots of uh, hands on board to make sure it's a smooth smooth ride through the tournament. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Matilda's legend, Melissa Barbieri, about the tournament uh, just ended. I want to talk to you about expectation. Um, the Matildas in this uh, Olympic campaign are, are now hold the three greatest women's sporting broadcast numbers in the history of uh, Australian women's sport. It is unbelievable. Two point, almost 2.3 million peak viewing audience for the semi-final against Sweden. With that comes enormous expectation, and I want to ask this question carefully because at the Olympic Games, a, a lot of people in the know believe the event is a little bit compromised. In, in fact, we had... Um, because Europe only has three spaces uh, in the field, um, you know, the, 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 the tournament was without Germany, the 2016 gold medalists, and France. That's num- the rank, teams ranked two and three in the world. Norway, who beat us in the round of 16 in the World Cup, weren't there. Uh, no Spain or Italy, who all in Italy finished in the quarterfinals. They beat us at the World Cup in France. So do we need to just temper a little bit um, the result, or do we just get wrapped up in, well, we can only beat who we play, so, and, and, that, and, that's, um, and that's good enough. I mean, a lot of things come into play. So the, I'm going to say that the, the viewing numbers, it's because it was primetime TV, an absolutely beautiful um, setting to pick up such great numbers, which means that the pressure on the girls to perform was up there, um, but also it means the um, the resources and the growth of the game uh, is, is going to grow inevitably because all the little girls watching um, the girls play, even if they didn't mean to because the parents have it on in the background, uh, would have been huge. So whilst the pressure to perform was there, I think um, the, the benefits far away outweigh all the, all the pressure that the girls would be feeling. Um, and in terms of... You know, the tournament, I mean, it's probably the most remarkable thing someone's asked me um, because n- nobody points to that in, in any of the um, in, in any of the interviews that I do. I think it's, first of all, you've got to play the teams that you play and get, get your results. But you are right in saying that we did thir- finish third in our group. If we didn't finish, if we th- finished third in our group in a World Cup, you don't get through. So um, whilst we're in the group of death, uh, you, you're right. In in the World Cup, we wouldn't have wouldn't have made it through. So whilst we are very proud, and and of course that that win against Great Britain was against um, what what you think should have happened, um, but that's football, um, and those things happen all the time. So you just say. You put your hand up and go, yep, <laughs> we won that one. Well, let's not forget um, I mean, the importance. I mean, if, if, just imagine if, if, if the Socceroos had beaten England in a major tournament event. That, that, that would have been headline news on the front, back and middle pages of the newspaper. So uh, we know that the, the advancement of women's football in the UK is not the, the same to which it is in the men's, but it's come along a long way. So for, for the Matildas in any tournament to beat um, Great Britain, the strength of the entire nation is a, a, a massive result. Well, the semi-finalists in the World Cup, England were anyway, weren't they? So that is a big win, yeah. Yeah, and when you think about it, the European teams that you, you mentioned um, aren't in the tournament because they didn't 
win their place um, in the tournament because you you got to come top three uh, in Europe at the World Cup to actually play in the Olympics. I'm not sure if, if everyone listening would know that's how you qualify through through Europe. So it, it does seem unfair for them. And I honestly think they should have at least one more position in in the tournament. Um, and they basically need to grow the tournament. Yeah, it needs to go if to 16 wanted, teams, doesn't it? Yeah. It needs to go to at least 16. So you could at least have the top two from each group and it would be just a little bit more balanced in, ter- in, in terms of um, fairness because, you know, it's only the top two of the best third place getters. Um, so really it's, it's just, I've always felt the Olympic tournament um, was unfair, um, more so for the fact because one year North Korea had uh, drug cheating and they were banned from the FIFA World Cup one year and then the next year they were allowed to play in the Olympic Games, which is just mind-boggling for me. Um, so I, I've always thought uh, less of the Olympic tournament because of that reason. Um, but in terms of stature, for Australian people watching the game, um, the Olympics is first and foremost. So when you speak to people, they don't care that you've gone to a World Cup. I've been to four, nobody cares. They, I say that I've been to an Olympic. Oh, really? Oh, which one did you go to? And they they have memories of that particular Olympics in their mind and they cast themselves back to that time and, and think, oh, wow, I can't believe you were there sort of thing. And mm. But if you tell them you've been to four or five World Cups, they don't they don't really bat an eyelid. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, Melissa? I remember Sydney 2000. Uh, one of the uh, the events I went to was at the Sydney Football Stadium, watched the Matildas play Honduras, and it was a full house. I mean, these are these are um, are memories that, uh, that yeah, we're talking to the broader Australian sporting it public. It gets cut through, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Melissa Barbieri, we'll take a break at, at the moment, then we'll come back, and we're just going to look ahead because there were some wonderful moments. Uh, we, we saw we've got a coach who, who's got a two-year contract to take us to the World Cup. We saw some incredible talent um, come on uh, in, in, throughout the course of the tournament. The, the, the Matildas of the future. So that's what we, we want to talk about next. Okay, so stick around uh, on Box to Box. We're going to talk more with Melissa Barbieri after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We're right in the middle of a wonderful conversation with a, uh, an icon of Australian sport, a Matilda, 86 caps, Melissa Barbieri. We've reflected on the Olympics. Yeah, we didn't get the medal, but uh, we've got the World Cup uh, in the, the less than two years away. It starts in July in, in 2023. Got an Asian Cup before then, Rob? We do. Uh, in but, India. Um, and then uh, an Olympics after that as well. But Melissa, look, before we move on to, to the young stars, I mean, there, there was a player that so many of us would have liked to have seen at the Olympics uh, who, who won't uh, likely play a part in, in the future and uh, and may have provided a, a steadying hand at different points was Lisa Devanna. Uh, do, do you think um, that, um, that that was a big miss for, for uh, the stability of, of the group um, and, and those young players? Uh, look, I, I don't... I, I won't shy away from the fact that Lisa can be tumultuous at times and she can actually separate the group um, because of her... I mean, she she doesn't sugarcoat things and she says what she feels and she's very um, authentic in that way. Um, and I think Gustafsson just wouldn't be able to handle... He's very much uh, a positive 
role model and if you could put life coach into football perspective, that's Tony Gustafsson. He's literally a life coach in, in football terms. So I don't think um, Lisa's mannerisms or the way she goes about things would would yield a good relationship with, with Tony and I don't think no matter what she could do on the on the football pitch, I, I don't think he would allow um, that sort of behaviour um, in and around the group for what he's trying to provide for the future, whether or not she's going to break a record for most appearances or not. I love your diplomacy there, Melissa. Oh, it's a big issue because, you know, at different she times... very well, and honestly. Yeah, absolutely. At times, as a fan, you know, you, you throw Lisa on uh, late in the game and uh, she could have had an impact, but there's, there is more than just that to consider, no doubt. Um, let's talk about the three players that have cut their teeth in this tournament that really have emerged as important um, players going on into 2023. That's uh, players that you know well, uh, Tegan Micah, Mary Fowler and Kyra Cooney-Cross. It's been a real look to the future and a little bit of renewal that's been happening. Can you talk to us about the three of them and, and what you... Uh, took out of uh, their performances at the, at the big time for the first time? I think it's been great to, to see them uh, on the world stage and get uh, more minutes under their belt. I've, I've been particularly impressed with um, Kyra Cooney-Cross's development over the, the last two years. I mean, I do remember her as a, a young teenager at Melbourne Victory and not getting much game time, um, just based around her sort of attitude towards defending. Um, I mean, great with the ball, great balance, um, you know, great work ethic in terms of getting herself better, but seemed to when place herself on the pitch, she would, she would sort of only focus on moving the ball forward and not really doing her uh, best in defense to help the team. Now she's been in the W league a couple of years where for Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, absolutely brilliant, and then following up with Melbourne Victory and the the championship there, she really just grew as a player, um, and in my opinion, uh, matured a lot. And you think um, when a player can do that in such a short amount of time, imagine what they could do in another two years for the 2023 World Cup. In terms of Mary Fowler, um, I feel like she's been pushed really, really early to go. Um, you know, health for leather in terms of playing for the national team and playing professionally and and wanting everything to happen almost immediately. Um, and she got her Guernsey at the, at the last World Cup but unfortunately got injured and I think maybe that's, uh, that put a dampener or, or set her back a couple of years in terms of her growth and development because as we all know, if we push those young players too far too early, they start getting injured and then, and then can't perform on the world stage. So it was really um, great to see her fit and healthy. And after having that season in France, um, she's absolutely physically grown and matured. And um, you can really see the power in her shots and and her ability to be calm and composed under under pressure, which was excellent to see. I mean, uh, the goal, her even though it was a huge deflection um, against Great Britain, it was an absolute classy take down with the chest and the volley and just to be thinking in that sort of um, realm or, or having that audaciousness in terms of playing against Great Britain and thinking, no, I'm just going to hit this. 
Um, and even though she got the deflection, it's you still got to take the shot, don't you? So uh, it was great to see. And in terms of um, Tegan Micah, I'm not going to lie, last night was, um, you know, she did make her routine saves, but, you know, poor performance in terms of what you need to be in a, in a bronze medal match. And I think if we had someone with a bit more experience, a couple of those um, three out of the four goals probably don't go in. Um, so when you're in your infancy of being an international goalkeeper, you're going to have those moments where you are not making the big saves and you're not making, or you're making errors in in sort of routine things. And to be doing that in a major tournament can also set you back. So I just hope that she can come out of this game. I know she will. I mean, she's got she's got a lot of confidence in in herself. So I'm sure she'll be fine. But um, you know, in these moments, usually these moments happen when you're when you're not being watched um, incredibly critically uh, by a lot of people. So um, hopefully that puts her in good stead. I know I know she'll only grow from it, but I I honestly think. Um, the tournament was probably a little bit early for her, even though she did do the the right things against um, Great Britain and she she made the saves and things. I think a lot of the goals that we have copped throughout the tournament could have been, um, you know, dealt with a lot better by somebody who can manage the team a little bit better and, and talk and and just get the girls to do the right things in the right moment. And and that's um, an experienced goalkeeper like Lydia. Yeah, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Melissa Barbieri, and yet yeah, obviously Tegan Micah, are a, a player of the future. But um, it, yeah, it's interesting to hear that you, you say that three of the four goals wouldn't have gone in because that immediately suggests that uh, if they hadn't gone in, that we uh, would have had a bronze medal hanging around our neck if Lydia Williams had been in goal. So uh, uh, is that what you're, you're saying, Melissa? I feel I feel that way because the first goal is come in straight off a corner. Um. And you just, that does not happen in international football. In my, I have high standards, right? If I'm letting a goal in off a corner with zero pressure, like there's always pressure because it's a bronze medal match, but the technique used and, and things, um, that's just an easy save. Um, in, in my, in my thoughts, I think, um, Rapino was audacious. She went for goal. Um, and you only do that only do that if you know that there's some sort of um, chink in the armour. Goalkeeper, <clears throat> we'll ask you the obvious question. Goalkeeping, keeping stocks. <clears throat> um, Tegan really only got the opportunity. I don't know whether Lydia was uh, injured or not or um, whether it was a confidence issue or, or, or whatever, but she didn't figure in a lot of the, the lead-up games. And Mackenzie Arnold had oh, two incredibly poor lead-up games that... Yep. Arguably, Mackenzie was next. Away from that. <laughs> yeah, arguably she was next in line, but you just couldn't put her in. So Tegan obviously got the opportunity because she probably was in in some sort of form at the right time. But going forward, um, Mackenzie's paper stamped. Do we have to look beyond Mackenzie going forward? Of course, you have to. You have to look beyond Mackenzie, um, Tegan, Jada, because all you need is one ACL. Yep. And you're done for. So the problem with uh, <laughs> goalkeeping is if you're not playing at a high level and being challenged every day in a professional environment, you'll lose them. So Tegan and Micah has her, herself said that if she didn't go to America, 
she would have quit. She would have played AFL. Mm. That is the mentality of these. Well, we've seen that with Bree Davy, haven't we? So, yeah. Yes, we saw it with Bree Davy because she didn't have a professional contract. So the thing with Mackenzie Arnold, she plays for West Ham. She plays for the Matildas. If she's not playing for the Matildas, she's still number one for West Ham. So you can still – so this is what happens in the men's game. You still get a professional environment, a good contract, and you're looked after. When when you're at home and you've got six or seven months between W League seasons and you're playing MPL in between, you, you're going to look away from the game. You're going to think, oh, what's, what's, there must be more to life than, you know, being in lockdown and, and doing this. So if we don't have that sort of next group of players wanting to actually um, sit on the bench and ride the pine for a good chunk of time before they get an opportunity um, without playing professionally, we're going to struggle. It's really, it's really down to that. We have to get um, a lot more goalkeepers, not only into the W League, but also wanting to play professionally overseas. So I continue to play um, for Melbourne City because of that. I never had that opportunity to be a professional athlete whilst I was in the Matildas. And it's hard for me to say because I didn't have any goalkeeper training um, during the year. I only ever had it in, in tours and when I went away from the Matildas. And, you know, maybe if I wasn't number one goalkeeper, I'd, I, I, I'd have quit too. But, um, you know, I continue to play and soak up the fact that I can and apply a trade and earn money from playing football. Um, but the youngsters aren't, aren't that patient. and <laughs> They aren't that grateful either. Um, and it's really, really hard to be a goalkeeper. There's only one of you. And then you've got to sit there and watch people make mistakes and still play in front of you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and some coaches just don't like you. And, that's, that's, and, and some coaches don't even want goalkeepers as captains. And that's just ridiculous as well. There's so many things going against us. Um, and we just, we just need to really envelop all those youngsters who want to put a pair of gloves on and stick their face in front of a ball. We're just not doing enough. It's, it's one of the, you know, in, in women's football, in men's football too, but, you know, you've, yeah. it is the key position because uh, yeah. you save a couple of goals, uh, you invariably get results. Oh, you're a legend. Well, two, well, two of our greatest uh, socceroos of the past three decades, obviously Mark Schwarzer and uh, Mark Bosnich, uh, uh, you know, we've had some great keepers um, in, in the men's game as well and uh, in the women's game, one Melissa Barbieri is one of the first uh, names remembered whenever the Matilda... They go on forever too, just like mm. Bubs. Yeah. Hey, Melissa, look, we'd love to talk to you... For for, for longer and uh, and it just seems right that we would finish on a goalkeeping discussion with you uh, but um, you know we, we, we really did enjoy the, the, the Olympics and uh, and we're proud of, um, of, of what our girls managed to do and uh, they uh, they maintain their position as, as one of the most loved uh, sporting teams in this country and uh, we've got a, an exciting couple of years to, to look ahead certainly do it's a bright future and um, if you're out there and you want to be a goalkeeper just give it a go Good on you, Melissa. Melissa Barbieri, 86 caps with the Matildas reflecting on the Olympics and the next couple of years ahead. All right, stick around. We've got more to talk of football on Box to Box. Marco Monteverde, what's going on with the Socceroos in their next stage of World Cup qualifying? He's got some breaking news. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, 
Earlier in the week, we read an article by our next guest, Marco Monverde from uh, News Corp. Uh, uh, headline, Socceroos Football Australia officials hoping of securing a travel bubble for the clash against China in Sydney. But uh, Marco, um, it looks like the news is not good. Welcome to the show. Good day, boys. Yeah, it's so tough at the moment, isn't it? With uh, I mean, you know, trying to fly like internally, let alone trying to get guys from overseas and like having to avoid two weeks of, of quarantine and trying to get them in like a bubble. But uh, yeah, it looks like that the September 2 game against China will have to be played elsewhere. And uh, I think Football Australia is currently looking at their options in terms of where else in Asia the game um, can be played. You've recently spoken to James Johnson in uh, uh, an at-length discussion. What can you give us uh, uh, as a snapshot of, of that conversation? The need to play the games at home and it's so it's going to be hard to like qualify anyway whether whether Australia play like like home or away but the um, advantage that the Socceroos get from playing at home to lose that it's going to make, uh, make it tough and James has acknowledged that and they're, and they're doing everything that they can to try to get the matches in the October and November windows the games in like Australia to be played here and for the government to for the for the various governments to you know sort of relax their um they're like fans, but I guess that's that's going to uh, depend on uh, what the COVID numbers are and border closures and like everything and um, trying to bring like bring like players in. So um, for now, that September two game against China will be played elsewhere. But the September seven game in Vietnam, in which is in like uh, sorry against uh, Vietnam, which is in Vietnam, that will that will go ahead as as like planned because. Um, from what I've been told, it's only Australia and China out of the twelve out of the twelve nations that are left in the running from Asia to qualify for the World Cup. It's only Australia and China whose like uh, governments are uh, making it hard in terms of a travel a uh, travel travel uh, what's the name bubble. This scenario is creating uh, stress uh, in the the high performance unit as well. Obviously, Graham Arnold he's not able to come back to Australia. I think he's currently in Dubai. Um, uh, on the basis that if he was to come back to Australia regularly, he'd spend a lot of time in quarantine, and we know um, we know the pros and cons of that, in particular the impact on people's health. So <clears throat> it must be creating some challenges just on how they're operating, and it must be really stretching the high performance unit. It is, mate. As you said, Arnie is in Dubai, and he if he comes back, he's got to do the two weeks in quarantine, and. You know, I mean, well, now we know that the game's not going to be here. But if he did, he had to come back two weeks and then like go again. So, um, and and like, um, unless Australia can like can, can sort of secure the games in October and November at like home, and even if they do, it's still going to be hard for um for Arnie to come back here before Christmas with, you know, the with the sort of uncertainty that that we live in um, at the moment. So. He's still in Dubai, and uh, you know, hopefully, he can just fly to wherever he needs to be, where, wherever the games are, and uh, he won't have to serve his quarantine, and um, and like and like he'll be fine. But then he got his uh, support staff who are who are like here, so if they have to go go overseas, and then be forced to come back and serve like quarantine it's just going to keep adding up and uh, it is really it is really stressing it as you said the high performance unit has a new leader uh, from the point of view of uh, Paddy Steinford and uh, he was announced recently he comes with an enormous experience in high performance sport in particular in North America he's 
He's, he's, he's got an incredible CV, but he hasn't had a lot of direct football, a la soccer experience. And uh, on top of that, um, the Matildas have lost Vito Bazzali, a long-term team manager and uh, sort of organisational logistics type person. And the Socceroos have lost Joel Freem, who's you know been to two World Cups in that role. So mm. there is, there is um, and we understand, uh, Vito hasn't been lost to the game. He's the new GM of football in Adelaide. But um, Joel, yeah. we're not sure where, what's happening with Joel. But that's a lot of football experience and knowledge to lose out of that uh, that program, and obviously change comes uh, at, at, at obviously the most inopportune times. But that that also must be a consideration that's weighing heavily on on James and and his colleagues. To lose that kind of experience, like any time, is uh, is tough. But now with the uncertainty, especially with the men's program, as we just uh, as we just discussed, uh, with the women, with the you know preparing for the World Cup and everything uh, here. Um, it's uh, it's not and not it's not an ideal time, but hopefully we can navigate our way through it and come out with uh, with men's World Cup qualification next year and uh, the women, you know, winning the World Cup the year after. Um, but uh, that's uh, some 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 somewhat some way way away yet. But uh, as you can see by the uh, by their performance at the Olympics, uh, the uh, the girls they uh, from where they were under like. Tony, Tony, the stars when we like started, they've they've already made some uh, strides. Yeah, they definitely have done. If you had have looked at those friendlies, um, we would have thought we were going to go out backwards in the Olympics. But you know, to be contending against the USA for, uh, at the very least, a bronze medal, uh, yeah, we're all disappointed now. But uh, to come from where they came from to get to that point was amazing. And then we also look at the Ollie Roos and, uh, and a lot of those young fellas that, uh, you know, there was only uh, one uh, overage 20, over 23 player playing in that group. So we, we had a, a lot of um, young quality emerge, um, had a famous victory uh, throughout uh, well, in the first game of that tournament, of course, against Argentina. So, you know, th- these are, are all positives. Uh, the group, of course, that we're in uh, is Group B, Japan, Vietnam, Oman, China and Saudi Arabia. So probably, I mean, China's a rising power, but uh, probably not the worst game to have as the first one up as we, we sort of work Would have been good to have it at home, Rob. Yeah. Instead it of in Sub Hub. Well, they're in a hub as well. That's the thing. So yeah. we're both in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, China, like as you said, probably in that in our group, um, Japan and, and Saudi Arabia. Oh, I keep but, saying um, Vietnam, Mark. I've, I've watched Vietnam make huge strides in the last uh, five years in Asian football, and oh, that's a very difficult second game up um, to play in Hanoi. It is. It's going to be tough. And then depending on where that first game is now, that's for right. Like Australia. Yeah. And, you would uh, think that yeah, would be in the Middle uh, East, wouldn't you? You would think it would be in the Middle East, yeah. That's an option. I think they're also looking around uh, the Southeast Asia region, yeah, okay. but uh, I think we, I think we'll know in about in the next week or so because if it's in the Middle East, it's going to be easier for the uh, European-based players to like get there quicker. But then if it's uh, if it's if it's in Southeast Asia, it'll be easier. To, it'll be it'll be quicker to get to uh, Vietnam. So. Once, once that game's played. So uh, I think they're weighing all that up at the moment. Oh, trying, to, trying to do some deals with the, with, the, with the various national governments. Okay, well, we've all obviously got our toes and fingers and everything else crossed that um, that we can get a reasonable outcome out of all this and um, and look forward to seeing the, the uh, Socceroos playing in Qatar next year. It uh, was just nice uh, watching both the men's and the women's playing in the Olympics. So, you know, we're sort of spoilt these days, aren't we? We just expect after all those years of drought to, to see our team playing in the World Cup. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll get this uh, this 
issue of hubs and qualifications sorted out and Arnie can get the get the boys through. Yeah, you're right. You know, the uh, Molly Roos, it was it was sad. It was sad to you know see them go, but you know I think we're seeing that the link between the Molly Roos and the Soccer Roos now and mm. the younger players coming through who are who are part of that squad in in Q8 that, that did well in June. So I think he's uh, onto a good thing there. Yeah, that sort of joint coaching setup. Marco, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Uh, stay well, and um, and we'll look out for uh, your uh, your copy online as uh, as more of this story breaks. Thanks, guys. You're welcome, Marco Montverde from News Corp. All right, stick around. It's been a busy first hour. In the second hour, we've got Johnny Aloisi, New Western United coach. Always good to, to chat to John. I might sneak in a question about the Euros because uh, it's not that long ago. We can ask him. He's a you know Italian boy. And uh, we'll talk Europe, of course, the championship starting this weekend, and we'll wrap it up. We're going to talk about our, our dream broadcast team in stoppage time. That's all coming up on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and absolutely fantastic. Hello and welcome back to Box to Box. It was a busy first hour reflecting on the coals of the post-mortem of the Matildas campaign. Marco Monverdo as we look ahead to the Socceroos World Cup action, but it's a busy second hour. We've got John Aloisi to talk Western United. More on Europe. We're going to try and create our own super team of commentators for the 10 Paramount coverage of the A and W leagues. Before we get to all of that, uh, Willem, you've got some news left. I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The Socceroos World Cup qualifying campaign is only going to get tougher and they'll need your support if they're to get to Qatar. Sign up to the mailing list today at gtatravel.com.au and be amongst the first to know about information regarding overseas tours. Let's start in Scotland this week, guys. That, along with Japan, seems to be the hub of Australian football internationally at the moment. Martin Boyle carried his goal-scoring form into the new season, netting the winning goal from the spot for Hibs in their 3-2 opening day win against Motherwell. The season didn't start so well for Ant, Postacoglu and Celtic. The Hoops dropped their first opening game match since 1997, defeating a late goal to Harry Sutar's brother John, of all people, against Hart. The week has improved for Ant as it's gone along, however. His family have joined him in Scotland, which is, of course, notable. He's brought in James McCarthy and Joe Hart. Interesting decision between the six. And he oversaw a 4-2 win over Czech side Jablonech in the first leg of their Europa League qualifiers. Not too much else to get excited about from a playing point of view this week, guys, but uh, plenty of transfer activity. The main one being that Denis jean has been bought by League Suicide Toulouse, with MacArthur to pocket around $800,000. Denny was born in France. Michael, he's begun training with them and could well debut overnight Saturday. That seems like an appropriate level for him at the moment. Certainly does. Very exciting for, for Denny. Um, I would have liked to have made more of an impact uh, at the Olympic Games, but um, I think he's a very good player, and he will uh, grow and develop in the French second division. and um, And based on his uh, heritage and his language skills, uh, he'll fit right in. Remember, we had him on as a schoolboy when he played for um, Scotch College yeah, all those years did. ago. Yeah, yeah, I think he was just a little bit tired. Obviously, a, a long A League season, then into the uh, Socceroos World Cup qualifiers in the hub there and onto, uh, onto the Olympics. So well done to him. Good full season. And now move on to senior European football. Cam Devlin could be following him over to that part of the world as well. Looks like he's been sold to Hart in Scotland. And this could be a good bit of business for two A-League clubs. Newcastle Jets have only just signed him from Wellington Phoenix. So they're going to pass him on for a, a little windfall. And the uh, Wellington are also set to uh, make a little bit of cash out of that move. So And you'd also, Rob, expect uh, Cameron to uh, not take a backward step in the 
Hurley Burley of Scottish football. And Mitch Duke, a final one, has remained in Japan following the Olympics. He signed for Jay's two side, Bugiano Okayama, another uh, country that Mitch knows well. Yeah, well, it was a shop window, the Olympics, for uh, for a bunch of players. And uh, Mitch did really well until he was uh, rubbed out for that final game. So, uh, yeah, good on him. Romelu Lukaku is set for a Premier League return after telling Inter Milan to accept recent interest from Chelsea. Inter had been confident of keeping Lukaku and rejected an £85 million offer this week, but their perilous financial state means it's unlikely they'll dig their heels in any further. Lukaku was on the books at Chelsea between 2011 and 14, but played his best football during that period with West Brom before he moved on to Everton. Rob, we had uh, Adriano Del Monte on as Inter Milan won their 19th Scudetto and in Italian football, the... Uh, the gold or the tenth star is what you uh, it's, it's pretty uh, highly held uh, in terms of estimation when you win the ten, and they were already talking about that second star for a twentieth title. But I can't remember a side going in as uh, defending champions seeming so far off the pace. It's been a pretty sad demise since. Uh, the glory of only a couple of months ago. Yeah, coaches, players, and of course, Christian Eriksen. Uh, you know, it was nice to see him come back to the club this week. But, uh, you know, so much going off on off the field with the owner and, and money around that club that, uh, you know, players are pretty well aware that uncertainty means um, instability around their paychecks. So they're going to go to where they can be uh, guaranteed to, to, to get paid. So um, unfortunately for Inter, that's uh, a lot of that club right now. But um, at least they, you know, they've got that 10th star. And just to flesh out that uh, Ericsson story, he has returned to Inter this uh, week for the first time since his cardiac arrest, with the club reporting he's in excellent physical and mental condition. His recovery program has been devised by Danish doctors and included the implementation of a pacemaker. If Ericsson is to return to Inter in a playing capacity, he'd have to have it removed due to Italian law preventing those with the device from playing contact sport, although this ruling isn't consistent across European leagues. Uh, the fact that he hasn't retired outright at this point, so that may just be possible. Uh, Rob Daly Blint, of course, is another player who plays with a pacemaker. A return would really seem at odds with what we saw on the pitch uh, at the Euros, but I guess it's not for us to uh, decide, and, and you just never know. Well, it's almost like a defibrillator that, that's installed, and there's no way in the world he's going to get it removed. So I think that suggests that if uh, the City Yard don't let him play with it in, that he's going to be going somewhere else. So, uh, uh, but, but it's just remarkable to think that uh, that can happen. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it will be a remarkable story if he gets back on the field and, yeah. and gets back to elite football. Incredible, yeah. The Dutch Football Association has appointed 69-year-old Louis van Gaal for a third stint as national boss, with three World Cup qualifiers less than a month away. Van Gaal has not managed since he was sacked by Man U in 2016 and takes over Frank de Boer after his miserable stint ended with an early Euros exit. Van Gaal's last stint ended after the success of the 2014 World Cup when he took them to third. Since then, five men have held the post on a full-time basis. And Michael, I'd like you to tell me what these five have in common. Will Hitting, Danny Blint, Dick Advocat, Ronald Truman, and De Boer. Mm. He likes to throw you a curly. He does, doesn't he? What the fuck? Well, look, off the top of my head, Willem, you're going to have to tell me the answer. Well, don't overthink it. They're all Dutch football <laughs> legends. Yeah, well, yeah they legends. are. I thought they might have all coached at the one club. But um, Louis van Gaal, I can, can, I'll never forget uh, Holland playing mm. Costa Rica in the uh, round of 16 of the uh, FIFA World Cup in Brazil. And... Uh, it was nil-nil, and uh, the Ticos, they did really great to uh, hold on to that game, and uh, he changed the goalkeeper uh, one minute, before, well, one, 30 seconds before the penalty shootout. Unbelievable. The point I was trying to make there is the last full-time non-Dutch coach was an Austrian in 1978, Ernst Peppel. There's just this arrogance and this myopic sort of inertia with the Dutch 
national side, if you're a legend of the game, you'll always get another chance. Rob, he's uh, not the man to take him forward, surely. 69 well, years of age, Rob? Yeah. I'll look what like, are you going to be doing at 69, Rob? Oh, we're probably, we're probably still doing the 498 million episode of the show. <laughs> uh, no, but look, I, 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 age doesn't um, weary them as so far as coaches are concerned. So I, I'm not too concerned. And you've got, obviously got a lot of skin in the game in so far as um, the Dutch team are concerned. Uh, but, I don't think um, Will was happy about it. I think we could tell that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, I, I did notice his dry sort of introduction into asking you that question was that there was a sort of a sting in the tail there, obviously, but... Uh, yeah, well, we'll um, uh, we'll uh, we'll find out because they did do well in the Euros. I thought um, in relative terms, um, but they they just have got this incredible capacity to flame out just when they're, they're well. They're not the team they were. were. I think that's the point, isn't it? They don't have the superstars that they once had. Uh, Sixty-nine years old, Rob. You're uh, only seven or eight years away from seeing Harry Kuehl coach the Socceroos. <laughs> exactly. See, I'm maintaining that. And and Sporting Bet haven't even put up a, a market for that one yet. I'll be jumping all over it. You still got time. Uh, let's go and round out on the Gold Cup, which we've been keeping a, uh, tabs on over the past couple of weeks. The USA men's side have won at the Gold Cup for the seventh time, overcoming Mexico 1-0 deep in extra time through a Miles Robinson header. All seven of the US's continental titles, ha- ha- titles have come on home soil, and they've closed the gap on Mexico, who lead all comers with 11. Mexico dominated possession in Las Vegas, but it was the States who piled the pressure on late through set pieces. Elmios Ali of Qatar won the Golden Boot with four goals, and Mexico's Hector Herrera of Atletico Madrid won player of the tournament. And speaking of Mexico and the United States, Donald Trump has doubled down, <laughs> doubled down on his criticism of the US women's side, claiming their bronze medal would have been gold had they not been so woke. Trump <laughs> stated the team are headed by a radical group of leftist maniacs, and that woke means you lose, that everything woke goes bad, and that the team certainly has. He said the Wokesters needed to be replaced by the few Patriots left standing and that the woman with the purple hair played terribly <laughs> as she spent too much time thinking about radical left politics. Just remarkable. I, I cracked up laughing when I heard that. The Donald. The, 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 Donald the, the ridiculous thing about it was he said that after the bronze medal game and the woman with the purple hair had just won the game for the, for the US. <laughs> but, uh, uh, that is hilarious. That, you don't think so? That is hilarious. <laughs> no, really oh, they should let him back on Twitter so we can all be entertained again. Yeah. I'm oh, just waiting for Megan Rapone's uh, response to that. It, it'll be pretty good. Oh, she Don't worry, it'll, it, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> At least she's allowed on Twitter. Um, all right, well, and well done. Um, you have a... I just got that. <laughs> good joke, Rob. Uh, thank you. Um, well, and well done. Um, and um, Hey, I'll take that. It um, has been a... Uh, well, it's the second hour of the show, isn't it? I was about to say the good start of the show. Uh, we've got a lot more to come. We've got Johnny Aloisi after the break. We've got more Europe next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport, and the A League uh, weeks away from the uh, twenty one twenty two season commencing. Off the back of what was a a really exciting season last season. It will be with a lot of crowds, but uh, there were there were exciting moments throughout with a lot of young players coming through. Melbourne City finally uh, took the title that they've long craved. But uh, there is a, uh, another city club or another club in the city of Melbourne, I should describe it as, who, who came on with a bang and made the finals in their first year. But for a number of reasons, not the least of which was COVID, uh, they fell off the radar last year and uh, they've got a brand new coach this season and he's an icon of Australian sport. John Aloisi, welcome to the show. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. 
Mate, and uh, and look, Western United, they, they really uh, surprised a lot of people uh, in, in that opening season, making the finals. Uh, there was a, a real uh, atmosphere at the um, at the club level on, on the, uh, the the pitch. The the players seemed to have bonded well. And uh, and it just, we, I know you don't want to talk about the season gone by when you weren't there, but but what is it that that's that, uh, that missing link in so far as a, a team is concerned and, and a club that um, that you think you can you can bring to uh, to turn things around. Oh look, we're we're still building as a club. That, that's for sure. You know, it, it's only two years old, so there are things that uh, that I'm excited about because uh, you know we've set a good foundation. or well, the club did, uh, and the previous uh, people that were in charge uh, of the, the football department, and and now it's up to the the ones that have come in to to keep on building on that. And uh, you know, there's a lot of things still to improve, as you as you would expect after. You know, club's only been involved in the A-League in two years. We're still building in terms of our squad. We've got a lot of players to bring in. Uh, we've brought in a few already. And we've got, uh, you know, some good young players coming through. So it's exciting. There's, there's uh, you know, the club are very ambitious. They want to be, um, you know, challenging for titles. And, you know, that's something that I'm excited about. John, this is your third uh, coaching gig in the A-League. What's the experience of Melbourne Heart and Brisbane uh, um, how do you look at this job with that experience behind you? Um, you must have learned and, and grown a lot um, through the previous experiences. And um, are you approaching anything differently to what you did at Melbourne Heart, for example? Well, you, you're always involved, evolving as a as a coach, as a person, and uh, you know I've learnt a lot you know, over the years. So, you know, not only uh, on the pitch, you know, also off the pitch in terms of you know the way a club uh, functions and. and you know, how a board uh, functions and the media side of things and, uh, you know, how you communicate with players and everyone around you. So that, that that's always getting better and always evolving. And, you know, at Brisbane Raw, we were very close to, to winning uh, a couple of times at the title while I was there. Um, you know, we made the, the finals three years in a row, uh, twice into the well, the major semi-final, one point of winning the Premier's played. And, and so, you know, I know what it's like to be at a club and, and that expects. To, to be up there and challenging and uh, and that's what I want to try and do here you know push the players push the club to, to always be up there challenging for the title and uh, you know that that experience held me in good stead and also the experience at Melbourne Heart you know when we were going through a tough period and you know what how I cope with that and how I saw that what I could do better what I didn't do so well and uh, they're things that I can bring into my coaching experience now and, and you know help the people around me as well. Well, yeah, talking about Brisbane, Jamie Young, you've uh, you've uh, nailed a very good signing there. He's um, he's been a, he's really grown into a fabulous goalkeeper. So, um, how does that? How do uh, you feel about reuniting with Jamie? Yeah, no, very good. Um, you know, Jamie's uh, someone I know really well from my time at Brisbane. Um, Jamie's is uh, you know he always pushes himself. He's always looked to improve, and you've seen that over the years. You know how how far he's come and uh, how he ended up being. Um, you know, goalkeeper of the year a few years in a row, and 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 you want that. You want competition for places. I know Scotty had a good season last year. It was mainly his breakthrough season in the in the A League, um, and you know that that's what we're trying to create. That that competition that will drive the other players forward to improve, and players that you know that that want to win. And uh, and if you get those players in, that just helps the rest of the group. Uh, the off-field team, um, your coaching appointments, obviously John Anastasiadis is very popular in Melbourne and uh, obviously the continuity have been at the club since the beginning. Uh, but you've, you've brought in Hayden Fox. Um, just tell us about 
uh, Hayden's appointment. He's um, he spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, as an assistant coach in the in the A League through the years. Uh, it's a good team that you've uh, you've brought together there. Yeah, very important to have those uh, those people um, that can bring something different to what you do bring. And uh, you know, we uh, know about John Anastasiadis. So, you know, his experience of. Uh, the Melbourne scene, uh, you know what the uh, the NPL is like, uh, the players around, and um, the people around the club because he's been here since day one. Um, you know you've got Frank Urich, goalkeeper coach, you know who as well has got a lot of experience uh, in the A League and also they both played at a very high level overseas and bring that experience. And then Hayden, you know he's been uh, uh, with Perth Glory and Western Sydney Wanderers the last you know two jobs that he was at, and they were very successful winning Premier's Plate uh, and, you know, also getting to grand finals and playing Asian Champions League. And, you know, if you can bring that uh, success into a club, you know, that only generates, you know, people around that have been there, done that, and uh, and will help the, the people that haven't been there. So, you know, it's exciting that not only the players, but also the staff that we've got and we've put together. And uh, I think that's the... You know, it's a good sign so far. It's early in pre-season, but uh, it's so far, we, you know, the the team is, is always looking to improve. This is Box to Box. We're talking to John Aloisi, New Western United coach ahead of the uh, the A-League season, which is not too far away. And John, insofar as your, your coaching philosophy is concerned, uh, you know, we've all been spoiled over the past uh, well, little over a month with the the Euros. We saw some wonderful, flamboyant, attacking, exciting football. We saw uh, what Italy did, um, turned everything around from the Catanaccio style to an attacking style that saw them uh, you know, go all the way and lift the trophy. You, you, you've had a nuanced style in so far as your tactical approach from you know the high possession game to to playing off the break, what do you intend to, to bring to, to this club to to from an entertainment point of view to, to put bums on seats when we're allowed to have fans in the stadium and to keep those eyeballs watching on TV? Yeah, it will definitely be attacking. Um, our players that we've got in so far, you know, very attack minded. We, we've got some pace, especially with you know. The likes of Connor Payne, uh, Lockie Wales, Dylan uh, Pryce, and then now with Dylan Wentzel Halls, we've got very, uh, you know, we've got quality players on the ball. You know, everyone loves Diamante, what he can do with the ball, and you know, with uh, Sanchez, and you know, and and at the back, you know, the quality players that uh, we can play that attacking style, and uh, you know, it's finding that balance and and making sure that you know, if we can, you know, pin teams in the, in their half and and make sure that we dominate them. Um, so that's also without the ball as well. So we have to make sure that we're, we're compact and solid. You know, a little bit like what you said about the Italians. The Italians, you know, dominated most games, but they also know how to defend and defend it really well. So it's getting that balance right, but it would definitely be an attacking style of football. And, and John, insofar as building the support base, so uh, we know you've been the club has been nomads since it joined the comp. But uh, one of the real marquee elements of its proposal to join the A League was to build the, its own stadium. You know, what can you tell uh, listeners uh, about what you know about the the plans around that to to finally build that uh, that stadium at Tarnit so that uh, that there is that purpose built football stadium that uh, that we can uh, we can all go to and just watch the game in the environment in which it's meant to be watched. Yeah, look, I, I've seen the plans. I've seen what the the club wants to do. Uh, I'm not sure when that's all going to start. That you know, some uh, someone else to, to, to worry about and uh, and think about. But uh, you know, I think it's exciting. It's exciting that the club have got those. Uh, that they will build it. They will set it up. They will build a stadium. 
a boutique stadium. Um, they'll have a training facility there also. And, and you know, that's only going to be great, not only for that area and, and football, you know, out west, but it's going to be great for Australian football because that's what we want to see. We want to see these, uh, you know, purpose-built stadiums for football. And uh, that's exciting for us as a club. Wasn't too many years ago, John, that we used to lament that our great players in uh, were lost to the game after they finished their careers. It's just terrific to see the coaching group with such fantastic names um, uh, sharing your uh, your experiences with young players. And there's a young player that you've signed that I'm really excited about. Uh, I watch uh, the the young and uh, junior soccerers closely, and this boy has been a real standout. He 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 oozes class, and I think. Um, Western United, fa- United fans and also uh, the broader footballing community are going to be really excited when you get Noah Botic on the part. Tell us about Noah, what you know about him, and um, and just um, you must be excited because I am. Yeah, like you, I, you know, I remember watching those games and then seeing Noah have a real eye for goal, which you know, being a, a, a you know, an ex-striker myself, you know, I seem to love uh, watching those young, talented players show that they've got an eye for goal because, uh, you know, they're not easy to find. And um, But he's also a hard worker. He's, he's a kid that wants to keep on improving, uh, keep on learning and, and work hard on his game and in the game. And uh, and so that way there, you know, it's easier for them to improve. So I'm, I'm excited to work with him. I know that uh, you know he's heading down. I think today um, he'll be in Victoria, so then he'll have to go into isolation for 14 days. But you know I can't wait once he gets out because uh, he's, he's a talent, he's a prospect, and uh, you know we're lucky to have him. John, I wouldn't be doing the roots of my in-laws proud if I didn't ask you about um, the Euro final. You enjoyed it all. You're a man who played in the City R. Um, it was, you know, somewhat expected to some of the experts, but it was an amazing tournament, the Euros. You were right there in the middle of it. Um, just your thoughts and reflections on the tournament and uh, and what we saw. Yeah, I loved every minute of it. You know, it was it was great to to watch. You know, obviously a part of it, but you know, I would have watched it anyway as a spectator because it was so good. The football, like you mentioned, was amazing. Um, having crowds finally back in Europe uh, was added to that. Yeah, it was it was it was just great to see and uh, and you know a lot of good teams and you know and uh, young exciting players coming through, which is you know. I knew about Chiesa because, uh, you know, I'd followed uh, Serie A still closely. Um, and, you know, he was good at Fiorentina. And then, you know, this season he had a good season at Juventus. But to see him really burst onto that, you know, world stage like he did, um, you know, he, he was exciting. And you had young Petri of the, the Spanish national team that plays for Barcelona, only 18 years old. So that was exciting to see those young talented players. But it was more the football that was being played was, was always entertaining. I think out of the 51 games, there was probably one bad one. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that mm-hmm. said something for a tournament. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. And, uh, and the boys have heard me rattle on about it being down in Ligon Street with Dave Davidovich there and my 20-year-old son and all his mates going crazy, mate. Uh, it was just wonderful to see. And Melbourne was just so lucky to be able to host that uh, uh, in that sort of break between COVID lockdowns. Um, just a, a little moment in the sun to, to just enjoy it the whole way that it should have been. And, and we note, obviously, that Sydney and uh, you know, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, etc., weren't able to do that, but uh, at least they could sort of vicariously enjoy the joy that uh, that was happening, mate. Yeah, look, uh, you know, if there was any other place that I wanted to watch it, it would have been down like <laughs> I can tell you yeah. that. It was. It looked like it was going off. And, yeah. uh, 
but there wouldn't have been only there. You know, the, the, like you said, that a lot of these other um, places and cities, you know, that mm-hmm. were in lockdown would have got, you know, still at home families, that, you know, that are living together, just following and enjoying okay. it. And and that's what that's what this sport does. You know, it brings mm-hmm. families, communities uh, together. And I thought the Euro did that the, this time round better than any other time. And so mm-hmm. that was great to see as well. Mate, uh, there was no moment that brought everyone together more than that moment in 2005, of which you are forever indelibly linked with Australian sporting uh, history, my friend. So uh, we're just so glad to see that you're back in football um, as a coach. And Get we the wish you face. every yeah. success, yeah, with, uh, uh, with Western United. Thanks, I appreciate it. And looking forward to the season. Excellent. John Aloisi, Western United, new coach, ahead of the A-League season. All right, stick around. We're going to talk Europe next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most. Yes, welcome back to Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sports. Time to talk Europe, the Premier League, and most of the other major leagues are still a week away. The Championship starts this weekend, but there's plenty of transfer news. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to talk to you about our friends at Storage King, as we always do. It's every single week, isn't it, that I talk to you about running out of space at home and you're listening and have you done something about it? Well, if you haven't called Storage King, if you're renovating, downsizing, you need that home office. Finally, turn the bedroom into an office. You can do it with Storage King. There's stores everywhere. There's a location just around the corner. So jump onto storageking.com.au and let Storage King give you back some space. All right, gentlemen, uh, we're talking Europe. Derek, um, where are you going to lead us off from, mate? Well, I had to uh, tear up my notes uh, when I woke up this morning with the news that Barcelona are announcing that Lionel Messi will end, supposedly, a 20-year career at Barcelona. I know you guys spoke about it at the top of the uh, program. Plenty of debate about whether this will actually turn out to be the case, you know, but clearly yeah. it's the biggest um, stories out there. No, look, it is, and... Um... Look, I mean, we know he's a wonderful player. Most probably, you know, uh, if you go back through the ages, he's most probably one of the most influential players in the world. But he's only done it at one club. And I, and I think it'd be lovely for him as well. And it'd be great to see him in the Premiership, whatever club uh, could afford him. Uh, I, I think it would be great for him to, to have a legacy somewhere else, you know, because I think he thinks he's got at least three or four years uh, in the game. Probably... Uh, and and, and, then, and if that was the case, it was just about who who can afford it. Derek, um, Derek, Derek, isn't there a bit of a ruse though? There's the conspiracy theorists out there in the uh, the Twitterverse are suggesting that maybe because Messi and Barcelona actually agreed to terms, it was the La Liga's financial rules that prevented them, him from signing. That this was just a bit of a, a ruse to um, to make La Liga's administration feel a bit uh, sad for themselves that they were losing the best player in the world out of the competition, and maybe that this is all an orchestrated strategy. Do you, do you buy into the conspiracy theorist, Derek? Oh, I do, actually. And uh, the other thing we have to bear in mind is that La Liga are currently negotiating with a gigantic private equity firm who are proposing to invest in La Liga in, in a way, the same way that private equity is invested in other codes around the world. And clearly, if I was leading that equity firm, I would want to know that um, the star of the entire tournament uh, is going to be there, at least for the foreseeable future. Why would I want to do that otherwise? So I think it's an act of desperation from Barcelona. La Liga have quite clearly told them that they cannot sign them under those current terms. 
and incurred both Barcelona and Real Madrid coming to, ironically, Barcelona's aid here in also ramping up the pressure, saying that, well, you know, fair enough, we won't have the star player in the tournament. Good luck with your negotiations, boys. So, I know I've referred think, to Messi as the boy who cried wolf. Maybe it's the club who cried wolf this time. have a lot of options, Barcelona. You know, they, you know, they don't have the money. They don't, they don't have the wherewithal to actually make the deal happen independently. Uh, you know, there they are. They are the architects of their own downfall. And we all know that Leo Messi wants to stay in Barcelona. His kids are in Barcelona. He's very, very happy there. He would like to go and play in uh, America at some stage in, in, in the not too distant future. But, you know, would he go to PSG? Well, there's only two clubs in the world that can afford him, PSG and Manchester City. Does he want to go and spend a year or two in Manchester? I don't know. doesn't have the greatest... Um, relationship with Pep Guardiola despite the success they had together. So I think they all want Messi to stay, but clearly um, Barcelona have cast the first die here and saying, well, we can't make this happen. La Liga, you're going to have to help us out. And just for listeners out there, Derek, uh, 672 goals in 16 seasons in the first team with Barcelona is Leo Messi. He's won six Ballon d'Or trophies and four Champions League titles. Who wouldn't want him? Well, one club that might want him is Manchester City, but of course they've done their own piece of business. Of course, uh, Dino, they have triggered Jack Grealish's 100 million yep. uh, clause. Uh, Christian Perslow came out and said that it wasn't what they wanted, but it's what you know what they agreed with Jack. And unlike Harry Kane, where uh, Tottenham has reneged on a gentleman's agreement, uh, Aston Villa has cleared the way, and he is off the city. What do you make of the move? Look, I think it's um, from Jack's point of view. I think he's done as much as he could for, for Villa. I know he's a Villa fan, uh, born and bred, and you know, uh, and he loves most probably living in Birmingham. Uh, but at the same time, I think he has to look at his future. And uh, and I think playing with the, the, the side like City, I'm just looking at the comparison to De Bruyne and Grealish, and it's like. He edges, uh, he edges De Bruyne. And then, then we haven't even talked about Silva, Mahrez, Foden or Sterling. You know, it's just, it could be so appetising this. Uh, I just hope that they make sure that he gets him on the pitch as much as he can. And um, and then, then I think we've got, a, we've got, I think City, for me, should win the league if uh, if uh, if everybody's fit. And obviously Galaxy is, Stars, as you said, I don't know how Pep is going to get them all into his team. You know, he didn't even mention Gundogan, which is such a star in, in their uh, league title-winning campaign last year. So, yeah, um, obviously the uh, you know the writing was on the wall for Villa, but they are buying really well. The signs of Aiken Winger, um, uh, Derek Winger from Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, they have uh, signed Danny Ings, of course, and yeah, he will buy the goals. They've already. Um, Signed Buendina from uh, Norwich, and of course the talisman, Luke, uh, sorry, uh, Young, Asi Young will come back into the team as well. So Villa have been preparing this ground for some time, and I actually think they'll be okay. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Grealish goes. We don't know the outcome of the Harry Kane situation yet, gents. Uh, he hasn't reported back to training. He's still on holiday, uh, and unlike the Grealish situation. That one doesn't seem to be resolving itself anytime soon. So we'll maybe have more on that one next week. Derek, a just a quick, can I ask you a question, Derek? Um, Tottenham in the past, when they've had big players want to leave, Luka Modric and Gareth Bale, they've held firm on not transferring to another English Premier League club. So do you think they can wait Harry Kane out? 
I don't. I think the situation has just changed this time. I think when they were sort of semi-regular in the Champions League, I think that policy of not selling to a competitor was quite a valid one. I just don't see how they can, you know, look at Harry Kane in the face now and say, well, you know, we, we're going to offer you, you know, Europa Conference League football. Their first game is going to be against the Northern Irish team called Lan or uh, of course the East side called Takos de Ferreira. So. I don't think um, Kane's going to be that excited about that. Those particular, uh, those particular sides, to be honest. So <laughs> I don't think I don't think they can offer the same. So if it is Manchester City, um, you're right; they'll hold them out. I think it will be a big fee. 130 million has been discussed. That's um, 26 weeks of Leo, Leo Messi's wages. So uh, yeah, they'll just have to look at their books and see what they think the best uh, appointment is. But one one striker who is probably on the move, you know, is Romelu Lukaku joining Chelsea again. Chelsea to keep buying back their own players for even more money and uh, eighty-five million. Bit of a shock uh, return uh, to Chelsea, but he would be a great signing for them, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the time he had at Chelsea. Um, I don't think he's the same player now. I think he's, he's improved at almost like another 20, 30, 40% of quality. And what he's done in Italy has been unbelievable. Did quite well in also the Euros. So for me, I think it's uh, I think it's a good little move for them. And I think they need an out-and-out striker to finish some of the, you know, I mean, they put the, the played with the false nine most of the season, but I think he's an out. And then look, and he's happy to to drift out into wide areas as well. So I think it's uh, I think this could be a really good signing for them. Just looking at some results that have been going on, Celtic uh, won the finally won under Ange. I'm sure that was covered in news. And um, you know, against a team whose name I cannot pronounce, but SK Jablonek, uh, and of course Rangers uh, lost to Malmo, got a, a uh, quite a late goal and. They could face Olympiacos or Ludogratz if they can turn it around. I brought a quick, um, uh, you know, thumbs up for St. Johnson, who uh, threw away in Galatasaray. So, means be a really quick one, Dino. Trinity Shield coming up this weekend. Leicester versus Manchester City. The, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the curtain opener for the season. Is this game yeah. an important one? Or is it just... Yeah. I don't know if it's important, but I think it's nice just to get, you know, they're going to be playing at Wembley and... Obviously, um, it, it, it'll be a little bit of a yardstick, um, you know, to see how whoever wins most probably will go down into the season really buoyant about their uh, prospects. If they got beat, but it's a close game, I don't think you've really lost anything. So, but I think it'd be just nice for all the players to get out there and uh, and see where where they look like after game one. Championship starts this weekend. You know, we don't have long a whole a whole run of fixtures coming up. Your Derby County. Uh, up against Huddersfield on the opening day of the season. I've given you my predictions. I'm not predicting yeah. the season for Derby, but where are you sitting on it? Um, look, I'm, I'm like the rest of us. I mean, like, uh, we're, in a, we're in a spot of bother, but if there was a team to play first, Huddersfield wouldn't be too bad because I've got them in the relegation zone for me. So I'm hoping we'll get a result. But um, it's interesting with all the other teams like the West Broms and Bournemouth. That looks like a cracking game. Um yeah. And the Sheffield United, Birmingham City, because I thought Birmingham were really good uh, in the second half of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I picked out Cardiff City and Barnsley as well. Barnsley shot yeah, the season full at the, the back end of last season. And I think Fulham versus Middlesbrough towards the end of these fixtures will be a um, will, will, will be uh, an interesting one. Uh, I think, though, 
you called out Sheffield United versus Birmingham City. I'm sure Ed will have one eye on that one. But it will just be really interesting to see where Sheffield United end up sticking. I had a check of the bookmakers and they are one of the favourites to bounce straight back up. Yeah. Uh, the championship now is a league where, even though it is still very competitive, teams that do go down do generally um, bounce back up. At the, the first attempt, there is a bit of history in that. Over the last few seasons, we nearly had all three last season, you know, yeah, returned to the Premier League. So, interesting to see um, where what, what happens to Sheffield United. But, Rob, um, we've had a few weeks now of just kind of sort of drag the news out over this section. I feel like we're now getting back into the full swing of things and trying to fit a quarter into a pine pot as usual. <laughs> yeah, well, well described, mate. Uh, well, the, uh, when the Premier League starts next week, obviously, so there won't be any shortage of stories when we get around to that. But uh, what we will do after the break as we wrap this thing up with stoppage time is return to the domestic football arena and uh, with the new... TV rights deal, 10 and Paramount uh, taking over the broadcast of the A and W leagues. We're going to have a discussion around who we consider to be the dream team of commentators for the locals. I've got one to throw up there that's a, a little bit interesting from left field. So stick around. We'll talk about that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. A busy week. Uh, no more Olympic conversation after this show for at least uh, a little while yet. Uh, our attention turns to the leagues and... The qualifying for the World Cup, of course, as we already discussed that with Marco Monteverde earlier, but the stoppage time, well, the time we have left is only seven minutes. The fourth official has given us not much time to bring it home. Before we get into it, I want to talk about Chemist Warehouse. It's time to save on sports nutrition at your favourite pharmacy. There's INC 100% WPI for just $79.99. INC 100% Dynamic Whey for $54.99. INC Plant Protein Chocolate or Vanilla 2 kilogram variants just $34.99. And Protein World 1 kilogram assorted variants now just $29.99. Remember, in addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, you can click and collect to save time, order online for delivery by Australia Post, free shipping on orders over $50. Chemist Warehouse. Great savings. Every single day. Now, the topic, guys, for stoppage time this week is our dream team for the Channel 10 Paramount commentary. Um, I know everybody's got some thoughts. Uh, Obviously, Michael, myself and Dino have domestic thoughts. Now, Derek, I I hesitate to suggest that you are not as focused on the A-League. I know what a passionate Western United fan you are and how disappointed you were not to be able to talk to John Aloisi, your new coach, earlier on in the show. But... The, the way I want to frame the question for you is, for that European football fan, of which there are many in Australia, um, affectionately known as the Euro snob, what do we need in the Australian broadcast setting? What do you, what would you want to see to, to attract you to the broadcast to say, yep, look, I'll start giving this a go? I think the first thing you've got to try and do is just make it different. You know, try and come up with a new way of broadcasting it, uh, bring in some personalities and have some genuine opinions on the game that are going to create some headlines, not not generic um, sort of old pros, jobs for the boys. Actually go out there and think about who are the sort of people that are going to cause waves, um, give good analysis and, and, and create it as entertainment. Uh, the way it's done in the Premier League, of course, which is a, the, the gold standard really is, it's really turned into a life, you know, into a reality show, into a TV show and you have to have the narratives, you have to dig up the big Derby games, you have to soak up the controversy. Um, but ultimately, I think give them people a product where 
they understand the context of each game and why they're important, historically or otherwise, create some rivalry and have some, some pundits, whether they're in the studio or whether, the, whether they're on the mic uh, at the game, and actually just give us something that isn't just vanilla analysis, because otherwise that's just going to let down the whole the whole product. You know, mm. we know that um, you know the A League is an emerging league that that we you know we want standards of the overall competition to improve. Um, but ultimately, you know, the way you package it up and present it is important too, Rob. So that's what I have to say on that. Yeah, you know, good, good points, all well made. Um, what about you, Edge? Uh, um, you know, you're a close watcher of international leagues. You know what's good, what's not, what's indifferent, what's lazy. Um, we've seen a bit of that in recent times. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, what we need, well, what we know is that uh, 10 and Paramount, they're going to need a fresh look, they're going to need a fresh feel, and they're going to need energy and some new voices. So, um, Obviously, some of the old ha- hands at uh, Fox are, are really not going to play figure, but there's probably one um, who's actually beyond Fox because he was at SBS originally, and it's Simon Hill. Mm. I mean, he is the voice of football uh, over a generation, um, and he's available, and I-, I think he's one that they just need to get. It, there's going to be a swag of hosts around the country that will be Channel 10's primary talent who will host coverage from the boundary line, etc. But if we're talking about the commentators, the commentators that will call the game and the analysts that will sit aside them and provide them with, with analysis and, and, and running commentary on what's happening... I think um, Simon's obviously one. There's two uh, two names that have been doing exceptionally well uh, with local um, broadcasts um, around Australia, and that's Teo Palazziri and Joey Lynch. I think ball-by-ball descriptions, if you actually have a, a good, hard listen to what they're doing, I think they can support Simon. So they'll need three commentators to do uh, most of the games, obviously across A-League and W-League. And then I think as analysts... Uh, John Cosmina, for me, is the best. And then uh, I'll throw in a few names. Clint Bolton, uh, our guest today, Melissa Barbieri. She's very, very good. She can do the men's game. Laurie McKenna. I mean, Laurie's uh, recently been in the game. Uh, Grace Gill, Shell Salisbury for the W League. Um, and for me, um, Andrew Durante, you know, who, who would be better than him to give him a, a go? Uh, played so many games across the, the NSL and the W League. And, and I think we've got to bring the big gun home. As far as special comments... No one's more entertaining. Let's get on the phone. Let's bring him home, Ned Zelich. <laughs> the big gun. Well, I think there's a few big guns, and Ned is certainly a big gun. I don't think he's the big gun, but he's certainly one of them. Dino, what about you? Yeah, look, I'm, look, I'm always on the gravy train with uh, Simon Hill, obviously, because uh, he's been uh, the, the, the number one for me for a long, long time. And I do respect Teo. He does a fabulous job, and... And to be fair, you Clint Bolton's, you Ned Zelich's, Andrew Durante's, I think they all they, they all, all can fit the bill. Yeah, look, it sounds like everybody is on the same page. I mean, I, I'm just pulling one out of uh, yeah, the field entirely, but I, I'd I'd love to see them do something that was like a mega blockbuster to 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 put a a, a Melbourne Victory versus a, a Sydney FC, or probably in this instance, given they're the defending champions, Melbourne City are entitled to this somehow or other generate a scenario. And and I'm talking about uh, COVID aside, but you've got a full house, a genuine blockbuster at one of our major stadiums in Sydney or Melbourne. Bring in the voice of international football 
Martin Tyler and ask him to do a special guest appearance broadcasting on an A-League game to, to give his halo of authority Well, in the, the modern Australian world, you wouldn't game. necessarily need to bring him in. He could he could call it off the nah. off the screen. He's been doing that. He still sounds yeah, pretty yeah, good. True, true. But, um, no, but there's ways well, of doing I, it. No, yeah, true. That's exactly right. But I think for the theatre of the whole thing, you want all the publicity and the interviews yeah. and all that sort of stuff around it. So he's well known. And then, um, oh, he's got the man crush on Martin. I, well, you I've do, been a big you? fan for many, on, many years. Own up to it. Yeah, we, to we it. do, we do. But uh, I think uh, I think some of the, the, the great hosts and callers... Uh, look, I love Stephanie Brands. So I think we've had Stephanie on yeah, Stephanie, uh, quite actually, a few times. Yeah, and very, very good. I I've left her off the list. Sorry, Stephanie. Apologies. No, I think Steph uh, brings a hell of a lot. I think Tracy Holmes, as a as a broadcaster of sport, as an analyst, as somebody who's a deep thinker, I, I love her work. And then, obviously, some of the players. I won't just rattle names off for the sake of it, but players who've played for the uh, the Matildas and for the, the Socceroos at the highest level and Premier League players to add that additional luster. I think maybe a, a person who I can't name, um, but there might be a Mark Nicholas, you know, who, who who Channel 9 brought in out of nowhere to be the, the guy that was the face of Nine Cricket for yeah, so many look, years. We haven't really talked about the hosts, have mm-hmm. we? Um, I mean, there is going to be hosts. Maybe a Michael Zappone fits that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know whether he's... Uh, Considered by um, ten as a fox person, but mm. yeah, there's there's going to be a swag yeah. of hosts that yeah. will book in the the coverage, won't they? Definitely, and uh, and Jason Pine, of course, from New Zealand. Oh he's yeah, got we've got to be involved in any conversation. I mean, he's just yeah. from the point of view that he's a celebrity, yeah, yeah. of enormous proportion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, boys. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, Dino, well done again, mate. Enjoy the championship. Good luck with Derby. Well, hey, we needed a lot of luck as well. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, thank you. Thank you, boys. Michael. Thank you, Rob. Another good show. Willem, you're long gone, but thank you, Damo, and thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the show for another week, and we hope you join us again next week when we preview the Premier League, the return of uh, the big action, and we talk more about the, uh, the World Cup qualifiers for the Socceroos. And we will go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.